Today's podcast is brought to you by Ryan, a leading global tax service and software provider that helps companies manage and minimize property taxes from acquisition to disposition and all points in between. As the firm with the most local market property tax professionals across the country, Ryan has experience in nearly every jurisdiction, unmatched by any other national, regional, or local provider. Welcome to WMRE's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at WMRE. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to The Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. David, how are you today? I'm doing well, hanging in. It's uh, We're in February now, so I think we were just talking before we went live how this is now almost a full year of doing the podcast from remotely, not from an office location. So it's kind of, uh, it's kind of crazy that, that we've been going this long. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you've done well, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's nice working from home, right? Kind of maybe. Yeah. I, I, I actually do enjoy it. Our office just, just announced recently that we're going to just stay pretty much as like largely working remote, even after mm-hmm. COVID. So, yeah. um, we're, we, we will have the office for going back to, but I think I'm going to be home-based kind of permanently now for the yeah. most part. Yeah, my, my daughter works at a credit union. So she's been going into work, you know, ever since the beginning, because she can't work remotely as a teller, it doesn't work, work out real well. Uh, she was super jealous the other day when I told her I was wearing my dress sweats to work, because I'm, you know, <laughs> home. So <laughs> anyway, I know that you have a, a guest on the show today. Why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest? Yes, we have with us today, Tom Lagos, who is an executive director with Institutional Property Advisors. Tom, um, how are you? Thanks for coming on the show. Gentlemen, thank you so much for having me. It's good to uh, be on on live with you guys today. Thank you. So before we kind of, you know, get into it, just for our audience who may not be familiar with the firm, can you tell us, you know, just a bit about your background and also about institutional property advisors? Yes, absolutely. So my name is Tom Lagos and I'm in, uh, based in Southern California out of our downtown office. I've um, uh, been doing one thing and one thing only for the past 27 years, and that is uh, selling shopping centers. So I'm a transactional broker specializing in shopping centers only. Uh, I work with a company called Institutional Property Advisors, also known as IPA, and we are the institutional arm for Marcus and Millichap company. Both of those things that you just said are are big reasons why I was kind of curious to talk to you. Uh, one, you know, just about to get a feel for what it's like doing deals on shopping centers right now. And then secondly, just, you know, I'm very curious about that, about that part of Marcus and Millichap and this group that you're, that you're a part of and what that means in terms of the clients you work with and, and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of, lots to unpack, but I guess if we could just start with the first part of that. So you've got a lot of ton of experience doing deals in, in, on, on shopping centers and retail assets. What has it been like getting deals done given the kind of market that, that we've had? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, certainly looking back a year ago, uh, today or a year ago from today, we were packaging up about, you know, close to $300 million worth of properties that were slated to go to the market in early March. And needless to say, every one of those properties was pulled from the market when the pandemic started. So since that time, uh, we have not really recovered in the multi-tenant retail space, which is really where I play in. We've seen a, a tremendous drop 
in our segment, close to 70 to 80%, depends on how you dice it. And that segment, we are still waiting to really pick up transactionally. So, you know, like you guys noted, um, I've been, you know, working out of my house, um, um, not wearing a suit. I'm actually pretty excited today I get to wear a <laughs> and go visit a client because it start, it's time. It's starting to sort of turn a little bit. So, And these kind of assets, when, when we're talking about the multi-tenant assets, you're talking about grocery anchored, community, power centers, malls, all of the above, or is it one, one more of a subset of the, of, of the retail side? My core focus has been grocery anchored, power center, lifestyle. Okay. I've tended to stay away from uh, strip centers or single tenant. And on the opposite side, I've, I've, I've tended to stay away from the mall product. Right. So th- that part of the market actually does like, you know, understanding, you know, having grocery anchors, which have been open this whole time, you know, those kind of properties have fared fairly in the broader world of retail. Those, those properties seem like they've been able to weather the storm a bit better than, you know, your regional malls have. Is that, is that fair? Correct. I mean, traditionally grocery, grocery drug, anchored shopping centers have, always outpaced or outperformed um, the other sectors with consistency. And it all just comes down to daily needs, foot traffic. People still need to go visit those sites. And when they visit those sites, they also uh, look at the, hey, there's a dry cleaner, there's a donut store, there's the hair salon. Um, and they tend to frequent um, and, and, and sort of do a lot of co-shopping, if you will. And and the deals that are that you're that you're looking at right now, who are the buyers and sellers at this at this point in the market? Who's looking to to move these? Who's who's interested in in acquiring them? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So again, going back to a reference of just a year ago, there were a lot more players in the market for retail. Traditionally, it's um, in the space I play in has a good balance of institutional investors. And by institutional investors, I mean uh, advisors for funds mm-hmm. or REITs, insurance companies that are always in demand for this type of product, along with private individuals, whether it's syndicators or family offices. They are always seeking this type of product. And then depending on the submarkets, um, there may be a a greater demand from your private sector or greater demand from your institutional sector. During 2020, the institutional investors really backed off on the retail sector completely. Hmm. And it was, and if it was, and if it was absorbed or it was picked up, it was really in the private sector that it was picked up the most. Institutional investors would rather buy or shifted their focus, I should say, towards other product lines like industrial and apartments are really where they're favored right now. Right. So the the kind of the assets that as we've been talking, I mean, looking over across the broad commercial real estate universe, I mean, that's been a theme for the past year. Industrial been really strong and so very popular, um, just given like e-commerce, given work from home and given logistics, all these sort of drivers for that sector. So making it popular. So that, so that makes, that makes a lot of sense. In, in terms of the, the deals again, that, that you're, that you're seeing, 
curious about both like valuations and whether those are fluctuation and also um, whether people that are that are motivated to put money in, in the sector right now are looking for like if there are a particular are they looking for income are they looking for asset valuation are they looking for opportunistic turnaround plays like what 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 are some of those dynamics sure now and, and I, I think i would i would want to quantify your question into certainly segregate into maybe two big ones, right? Are you looking for um, what we call core, core plus, really speaks to the stable assets, mm -hmm. ones that are usually lower yields and returns and are going to be more dependable long-term and usually can kind of weather different storms um, uh, in the marketplace or in locations versus value-add situations where there may be a distress environment where, you know, maybe there's some vacancies, maybe there's um, some turnaround opportunity. So during the pandemic, and certainly the market for the core type product really stepped backwards. And the reason why is for one of the things you mentioned is, is really how do we underwrite? How do we underwrite uncertainty, right? Mm -hmm. It's March, April, June. How long is this pandemic going to last? How long um, are, are these tenants really going to last? What is the overall impact on brick and mortar retail? Whether you are a mom and pop uh, restaurant or even a national chain restaurant or even a larger brick and mortar retailer, you were impacted. And during that period, during 2020, if I'm a buyer in that segment, I'm having a hard time understanding what my real income stream is going forward. And so I would a rather not buy right now or B, if I'm going to buy, I'm going to go to you seller and say, Hey, I need you to, I can't really give you credit for these tenants because mm -hmm. I don't know when they're going to pay rent. Mm -hmm. so, so this core market, this core area sort of really got impacted tremendously. There were very few transactions that happened in that sector. On the other end, on the value side, it got a little more interesting where we started seeing now an acceleration of really what's kind of been happening in retail overall on uh, the trend is that we are a bit over retailed uh, nationally and especially impactfully here in Southern California or Western US. And yet we have a great demand now for more multifamily and certainly now more for uh, distribution centers, fulfillment centers and so forth. So what we saw now is a shifting that, hey, shopping centers that are maybe uh, re repositioning opportunities are no longer probably going to be retail use opportunities are now being looked at by multifamily or industrial uh, developers as part of their pipeline going forward. And this is something, is this a trend that will continue? Yeah. So, and is that like change who the buyers are then? If like we're looking at a property that was a retail center and maybe struggling and now maybe it's best use is not retail anymore. Does that bring in a different kind of capital? That's correct. That is correct. I mean, for the first time in my career, at least I'm, I'm working more directly with industrial and multifamily developers hmm. to help them with their pipeline is they're now looking at retail and saying, hey, it's probably a lot easier for me to go and do a mixed use development here on an existing retail site than it is for me to go find a land deal and, and try to duplicate that 
especially when land is getting more scarce, especially in environments like Southern California. Right. Yeah, this is going to be so interesting, I think, to see. I think we've had some talk of that in, in New York as well around, you know, these reuse of you know transformation of one use to another and and even like this idea of like some of our off you know more of our office space becoming multifamily and um i'm just kind of curious to see how much of that comes to fruition and you know at what point you know who are the developers who can kind of do this successfully it's just going to be kind of an interesting thing to keep an eye on for a while i believe and it sounds like it's going to be like that in your in in california as well without a doubt and certainly during the pandemic in 2020, this concept was really accelerated. And then what about on in terms of like these deals getting done? How are, are investors, they have financing available, lenders are, are willing to underwrite investment sales, or are you seeing uh, more equity involved in, in the transactions? How, how is that piece uh, being affected? Yeah, it's a great question. And I didn't bring that up earlier, because that is that that was a factor also in 2020. Is that similar to buyers trying to assess risk um, uh, from that from that perspective, lenders really, really pulled back. And it was really tough, especially in some of the middle months and middle months being April, May, June, to find reliable debt for any sort of retail project. And again, I mean, just there, you know, lenders are going to be a lot more heightened or a lot more skeptical with their underwriting than maybe uh, investors will. And so their their reaction was just to pull out altogether. Mm-hmm. Or in the cases where they were willing to lend, they wanted a much larger down payment, maybe 50, 55, 60%. Um, and they wanted recourse. And there was just sort of, they threw in some extra stuff in there that made it really complicated for somebody to make sense of a, of a, of a transaction. And that was also impactful, ultimately, in getting deals done. Your reference to, like, you know, we, we were talking about about how, you know, doing so much remotely and not in the office for the past year. What has that been like for you personally in terms of, you know, because as, as somebody who's, who's making deals, you know, you're usually out there scouting the properties or meet, meeting with, with your clients. So how, how has it been like for you and how have you also found it to be talking to who, your potential, your clients through this whole process, people who may have been nervous or about doing deals or about, about a deal they may have already done? What's that all been like? It, it's been extremely challenging. And just to give you a little flavor, it's just my past. I've, I've transacted properties on the East Coast and Texas, Florida. Uh, a lot in Hawaii uh, and certainly the the bulk here in the West Coast. So I'm I'm a person that's used to going to several um, ICSEs. Right. Uh, probably travel to um, New York about five times a year. Probably go to Dallas about four or five times a year. Houston um, and also Hawaii. And I haven't done any of that this year. I've been depending a lot on Zoom calls and trying to connect with clients, um, formulating happy hours and stuff like that, just to kind of keep engaged or so because. Part of my style and the way I conduct business, I I like the eyeball to eyeball handshake and really connect with people that way. I'm really not a person that's suited or best suited to be behind a desk and not mobile. Um, so uh, it was a little bit, um, it, it's been tough. It's been tough for me on a personal level. Um, and I'm, you know, and I'm sort of just, I have to just sort of remind myself, hey, this is just a season. We're going to get past the season and we're going to get back out there. And I'm, I'm actually, you know, have a meeting today. I have a lunch meeting today with a, 
with an investor friend of mine that I haven't been able to sit down with in maybe a year. Wow. Yeah, I can't imagine, you know, people like you who've like, you know, you've obviously had a very successful career to get to where you're at doing, you're out pounding the pavement, you're out, you're out traveling the country. So I can't, I can only, I'm a little bit more, you know, like I go to shows and, you know, interview people, but I'm a little more used to just being behind the phone. So like, I feel like I've adjusted, but I wondered about like commercial real estate is about deals and deals are usually about meeting people and, 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 and walking the property together and doing that sort of stuff. So it's just been very interesting to, you know, hear about like what, you know, what that's like to kind of have to do this massive adjustment and, and yet still like get things done. Correct. Look, I, I, one of the two things I love the most about my industry or what I do really is meeting people and walking properties. And both of those have been non-existent for almost years. So I can't wait to get back. Do you think we'll be like doing more in-person stuff second, you know, as, as the year continues to unwind, are you hopeful about that? Yeah, correct. I, there was a period of time where we thought we were there in August, September, and people were more receptive to sitting down, having coffee, maybe having an out, a lunch outside. And then that came to an abrupt end in November, middle of November, with a second round of shutdowns. Now with the easement back out again, and with this and the good news coming where there's more vaccines out, um, you know, unfortunately out here in, in LA, a lot of people have already gotten COVID and are sort of feel like they're, that's behind them, that uncertainty is behind them. I'm certainly one of them. Our family went through the COVID situation the first 14 days mm. of this year. So now I feel a little more relieved and relaxed that, hey, that's, that uncertainty that I felt for an entire year is now behind me a little bit and I feel a little safer. I'm not, you know, going to take that for granted, but I am um, now more willing to meet with people and go out and, and, and shake some hands and maybe have uh, coffees and lunches and so forth. Well, I'm glad to hear that that you got through that. I hope nobody um, had it too rough for 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 that for for having COVID. Correct. Um, in fact, my um, my wife's family actually lives in um, Southern California as well, and they all also had all five people got uh, were positive um, right around the holidays. But but again, thankfully, nobody got seriously um, sick during it. But it was definitely it was. It's definitely stressful, you know, just not knowing for a couple of weeks, you know, how, how it's going to go. It, it feels like Southern California, LA was really impacted because now I can just about every other person I know has had it. Whereas wow. in June, my biggest question was, I don't know a single person that has it. So yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of, you know, sweeping by here. Okay. Aside from that, (laughs) that that whole experience, you know, there are other things about the market right now or, or insights that, that we have not talked about that you think would be useful for folks to hear. Yes. I mean, look, the, the good news from 2020 is that operationally, landlords were able to solve and work with their tenants and keep them there for the most part and um, are continuing to do that. So from op- an operational standpoint, when I, when I talk to landlords, I'm hearing a lot of good news. And, and sort of a segue into that is that, listen, I mean, the stability we were able, it wasn't in, in, in April, we thought that 
I'm not going to collect rent. I'm going to lose all my tenants. I'm really not. It was doom and gloom. Fast forward to even the end of, uh, of the year, it wasn't as bad as everyone thought. They were able to figure it out with their tenants and were able to figure it out with their with their, with their uh, lenders if, they, if that needed to happen. And, and they were able to hold on to their shopping center to make it work to the point where they're saying, look, we're going to be okay. We're going to, we're going to stabilize this thing and it's going to be all right. Now there are other landlords that also envision, Hey, this shopping center is probably 10 years from now. It's not going to be retail. Um, it's time to start thinking about what will it be? Um, and, and, and usually that goes into, like I mentioned earlier, a multifamily or, uh, some sort of fulfillment industrial site. So these two things are sort, sort of becoming a lot more clear. And let me add to this that there's about a lot of the research we've been doing, there's a close to $3 trillion sitting in bank accounts. Mm-hmm. And there is a tremendous amount of suppressed demand. And I think that once there is a lot more clarity and there is a lot more product on the market because there isn't much product on the market right now in my sector, the transactions will begin to happen. And I think that we will see a boom, you know, in the second half of the year going into 22 because of those factors. And relative to other uh, product classes, uh, excluding um, hotels, and because uh, that, that's another problem. Sure. <laughs> um, I think the, the risk return scenario when it comes to retail is going to be a lot more uh, palatable than, say, apartments or industrial. Yeah, I mean, it seems like you know, if we also go through a process here where, like you're saying, you know, some some properties, you know, convert to other uses, and then if we're not flooding the market with new supply, even if there's some softness among, you know, like in general among retail leasing, the fact that that we're reducing the amount of supply means that there still will be demand for, you know, to to make sure that that, that vacancies don't don't do it don't get too out of control. So even if there is somewhat of a reckoning. And then I think also, I mean, I'm sure there's, we haven't talked about this, but I, but I think I've also heard a lot of thing that that's been happening with retail space is just this continued growth of, of med tail and, and the, and the bringing in of like, of medical tenants, small medical tenants that can feel, can fill retail storefronts. So I don't know, it just seems like, I think we, you know, retail's kind of getting, gets beat up and certainly there's been um, a rough stretch, but it's not going, I think we, people can also get a bit overzealous about declaring things over. <laughs> Correct. Look, I mean, um, there's certainly a huge perception out there that retail's way out of favor, and that is showing up in the in in, in sort of the the cap rates or yield demands right now from buyers, and and I think that over time, people that know understand our industry or or really want to look into it will find out that hey. This is pretty interesting. There, you know, it's transitioning. It's not out of favor. And you, you brought up a great point. I mean, medical use has been absorbing a lot of undesirable space in shopping centers for a while now, and that's also getting accelerated. One of the things I like to say, part of my experience working with investors, is retail is not for tourists. Hmm. If you're going to be in the retail world, you want to be in it long. You don't want to be in it for uh, a short amount of time with the thought of, hey, I'm going to get in and get out. And, and those that are not tourists, those that have been here for a while, are going to benefit from exactly what's going on right now. 
I like that. I've not heard that before, but yeah, I think that's, that's very important because retail, you know, it seems like it could be a very simple business. If you own a property, you lease the store, they run it, but it's like retail tastes change and, you know, things can happen. So you have to be kind of a skilled operator and, you know, be able to tenant the property right and, and to really run the thing right if you want to be successful. Correct. And, and I've seen it. I've seen it multiple times. People just say, hey, I'm tired of managing my apartments. I'm going to get into retail without really kind of understanding the ebbs and flows um, and the demands and, and how to stay ahead of the demands and how to stay ahead of the changing times in retail. But at the same time, I've seen some people that, hey, they, they're looking for those, the tourist investors, if you will. All right. Well, I've taken up um, a good amount of your time. So I want to thank you so much for for giving us this commentary. I really appreciate you coming on the, the show and, and you know, giving us a sense of, of what, what this has been like. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Guys, this has been great. This has been a fantastic podcast. I just want to echo what both of you have already said. I know that both of you, specifically and Tom, it sounds like you have had to adjust a lot more in your role due to 2020 and COVID and everything that that brought. Uh, but I'm just going to echo both of your sentiments. We're hoping for some changes here soon, right? Let's get back to some business as usual so we can get face to face and have conversations and, and have that camaraderie uh, in the business world. I would love to see that happen. So, uh, Tom, again, great job today. Thank you so much for being on the show. And David, of course, thank you for bringing him on the show. And that leaves me to the last thank you, which goes to the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Common Area Podcast with David Bodemer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at WMRE, this is Eric Johnson inviting you back in two weeks for all the stories that matter to you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WMRE or Informa. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. Today's podcast was brought to you by Ryan. Liberating our clients from the burden of being overtaxed, freeing their capital to invest, grow, and thrive.